Michael O'Reilly, and you're listening to Beyond Notes from L Live Productions, a podcast for musicians, people that hire musicians, and music lovers everywhere. We'll peel back the layers of the music industry and find out what lies beyond the notes. This is Live with L Live. Welcome to Beyond Notes. I am your host, uh, Michael O'Reilly, and tonight I'm very happy to have on the show. He is a, a saxophonist, um, recording artist, uh, based out of New York City, composer, and an educator. Please welcome to the show, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly, uh, Steve Cortica. Yeah, that was great. That was uh, great. Hey, man. <laughs> All Glad right. to be here. I'm so happy to have you come on, man, and uh, and have a chat uh, um, and get to know you better and what you do. And uh, I I was listening to your music the last few days, and uh, I was like uh, very very impressed, man, with, with your playing. Um, listening to your stuff in Bandcamp, got some links that you sent. Oh, cool! Thank you very much. And, yeah, um, I, I I like I really like Bandcamp. I put all my stuff up on there just because that's. Uh, they seem to be in it for the artists more than anything. So that's, that's my favorite uh, place to go. But yeah, I have everything on there, man. Thanks for checking it out. Awesome stuff, man. I mean, the, the playing, the arrangements, uh, uh, really just world-class stuff, man. I was uh, really very, very impressed. Let me ask you, Steve, like that, that was an ensemble. How do you put together su su such an ensemble like that? To... Uh, you have to have a lot of patience and, um, have a lot of uh friends that can pull off what you're what you're trying to do and have they have to have kind of the same uh vision that you do or musically and and really because it just it, it does take a lot of work um but for me it's rewarding to to have it all done and then i you know you can go back and listen to it when it's all over with but um you know just just writing and and producing everything yourself uh can be pretty tedious going back and editing and fixing things and making sure everything's you know going to be 100% when you get to the recording session and stuff but uh yeah just just a lot of a lot of tedious um fixing and uh editing and things like that but uh it's for, for me like I said it's totally worth it it's really it was awesome man awesome to hear that it's still happening today people uh you know you're relatively young guy and the musicians that I, I saw in your on your YouTube also are these guys you went to school with Steve or, or are these just musicians that you you hear of and you kind of you know um get reference to you uh all the guys that i've recorded with in new york for the most part at like under when i put a band together it's it's guys that i've played sessions with in the city and that i just love the way that they play or um have heard about them through other friends and musicians and stuff I see. and uh yeah that's it's all just um kind of like an underground new york scene I, I don't think i went to school with any of them actually that i recorded with um, but I, I did meet a lot of them through people that I went to school with, I would say. So that's part of it for sure. Okay. Very cool. And speaking of school, cause I, I, I mean, uh, we've not discussed it. I'm not asked, but, uh, I know you've studied. I mean, there's a lot of depth in your playing and, uh, I could tell that you, you've done, you've done some serious studying. You probably started playing when you were quite young, I, I would assume. I did. I, I started when I was 14, actually, uh, not super young. Um, I took mm -hmm. about a year or two of piano lessons when I was 10 and 11, and I just really didn't like it. I didn't have the discipline and stuff together and wasn't digging it. So I'd stopped for about three years. And then when I got to high school, 
uh, picked up saxophone again and was mostly just reading music and doing classical stuff. And then when I got to college, I started uh, checking out jazz and was just really inspired by the students around me and learning about improvisation. And just the fact that you can make up music from the top of your head just really was a foreign concept to me at the time. And then like once I learned that you could do that and heard people doing it, I was like, this is this is what I got to do. I got to figure out how to how to do this better because it's just so much fun. Oh, it's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. So the, the school thing was kind of, a, you started off like studying classical music when, when you were younger? Yeah, I, I really loved classical and was just uh, pulled towards it. And I think just in, in the, like the Midwest, I'm from Cleveland originally. Okay, it's I just see. very pop. Yeah, it just seems to be very popular here. And like the Cleveland Orchestra is is really, really amazing. And there's just a draw for classical musicians and, and classical music here for whatever reason. Uh, so that's mostly what I was hearing growing up. So that that was just what I was ended up doing. And I actually played a lot of trumpet in high school and was uh, pretty motivated to work on like Baroque music and, and small ensemble and chamber music and stuff like that. But then when I got to college, it kind of all just uh, went away, not, not went away. I still love I still love listening to that stuff. But like once I learned about improvisation and jazz and just the amount of the, the potential to express yourself that much further um, and mm -hmm. just in instantaneously compose and stuff like that. It's just really uh, was, was captivating to me, but yeah, earlier on, I, I definitely got my foot in the door with classical music. Okay. Did you have like a whole kind of a pop period in between there? Like, like a top 40 thing. Cause I kind of went through a top 40 thing and then discovered jazz and went like, wow, this is, this is really interesting and uh, harmonically a lot more richer and kind of more places to go. And of course the whole, um, improvisational aspect of it but did you go through like a, like a, a rock period or like a, a yeah, Beatles funny, or, a, or kind of a, a you know I didn't I never actually thought about this until you just asked me that question but I when I was in high school I was like I really loved listening to like Billy Joel and Jackson oh, yeah. 5 and yes. like even Elton John and um it's I don't know some some like hip-hop people uh R&B stuff um like, and even just like rap, like 90s rap and stuff like that. And I, I think that those were like my, I, I wasn't really thinking about the music that was actually being played and I wasn't having to learn it or play any of it. But that was kind of my uh, pop music education up to a certain point. And then once I got to college and like discovered jazz, I kind of, I, I kind of just skipped over all the other stuff and, and really just started digging into bebop and Charlie Parker and things like that. And then okay. once I got out of, once I got out of school, I uh, kind of had to go back to, you know, more popular music and mainstream stuff. Cause I was on cruise ships and that that's like mostly what we were playing there. And I actually got to be a musical director for like two years and we would have like a talent show every Saturday or Sunday on the ship. And there would be like, you know, 10, applicants for the talent show so you had to learn just whatever they wanted to sing or play and, right. and the whole idea was that they perform with the live band so that was my definitely like a school of hard knocks when it comes to like having to learn some things that I probably should have learned a long time ago but but didn't um, as far as like the timeline of my education is concerned but right. yeah it's kind of been all over the place you know like um, what do they call that when there's like just dots like connect the dots kind of uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just like, uh, and it's all circumstantial, just depending on what what type of gig situation I've been in. I see. So, mm -hmm. how did you end? I mean, uh, right now, I, from uh, what you told me earlier, you're 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 back in Cleveland. You're you're in Ohio. Yeah. Um, but before right, that, you 
I'm sorry, you were based uh, out of New York City, correct? Yes, uh, I, I'm still uh, technically in New York. Um, all, my, all my stuff is in an apartment there. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been in the city for 10 years now. Uh, I moved there pretty much January 2nd or 3rd of 2011 uh, with uh, just a little bit of money I saved up from cruise ships. And then I moved into this very small room in an apartment and just started uh, working around the city and playing as much as I could, um, just doing odd jobs like catering and things like that. And that was my first and second years there. Uh, and then I reconnected with a friend I went to college with. His name is Brian Newman. Right, um, right. I, I saw, saw him in your, in your bio. Yes. It seems like that was a quite, quite a stepping stone. Oh, for sure. Bri I mean, Brian, since we've known each other, um, Brian has always been a go-getter and just a real, real great performer and entertainer. And uh, even when we were in college, you know, like we, we were both at the University of Cincinnati together from 2000 to 2003, I would say. And uh, he he was he had two or three gigs a night, even as a student in college. You know, we'd have to get up at, for like music history class at nine in the morning and he would be playing somewhere on a Monday or Tuesday night till, you know, like one or two in the morning. Morning. And, <laughs> right. and you have to try and get yourself uh, up for, for class in the morning. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But you know, he never he never stopped playing and um, kept on pushing. And he actually he moved to New York in two thousand three or two thousand four, and then we reconnected when I moved to New York. I started coming in, sitting in on his gigs and stuff, and uh, we just pretty much picked up where we left off. It was really great. Very cool. So you went to New York specifically uh, to follow follow your music career. Was that was that yeah. the main main uh, inspiration to to uh, settle down in New York City? Yeah, pretty much. And, and I always knew that I was going to go there for some period of time eventually. And uh, when I had I had stopped working on cruise ships in uh, the end of 2009 and I was going to maybe try and get my master's degree. I went to Ohio State for a little while and just wasn't really feeling it. Uh, mm -hmm. Just did a semester or two there and got to study some with some really great teachers while I was in Columbus. And then I said, you know what, I still have some money saved up. I'm just going to go to New York because that was just where I, it, it just felt like a calling to go there. And, and definitely I was hungry to play with more musicians and as many, as much music and with as many musicians as possible. So uh, New York did, did not disappoint. It, it was there. So, well, it's always been known as kind of a, the, the hub, right? I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same now. When I was a kid coming up, you know, it was like, you know, we were in school. It was like, oh, you know, you go to New York and that's where like you, you can just go to the smallest club and look in the window and, you know, there's Herbie Hancock sitting in with someone or, you know, like the world-class, the top guys are there. And, and there's, uh, what was it? I used to always hear about this bar 55, you know, when I was in school, I was, uh, you know, yes. Stern and Jacko used to just go and sit in these, these playing these really small clubs. So that was always the, uh, the image to me was that that's it. And you know, if you really want, if you're really serious about making jazz, your calling, that's probably the, the best place to, uh, to do it. Well, yeah, for sure. And and at the 55 bar, I think um, Mike Stern is still playing there every Thursday, right. as far as I know, like when they are having gigs, mm -hmm. um, he's still doing his thing. And there's actually a really awesome uh, electric gig that Wayne Krantz does with a trio. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how much you've listened to Wayne, but like that, the, the what they do is like, yeah, they, they just do just the coolest stuff I've ever heard. Um, they, they, they'll play a set that is 40 or 50 minutes long. And it just ends up being like this huge uh, mashup of songs that they all know. And I think Wayne just kind of knows 
the guys that he's playing with so well that he'll just start playing something and they all, you know, pick all up in. on it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just so cool. Very cool. When you, when you got to New York, uh, was it, what did you find it was like incredibly com competitive as far as like, uh, I'd like to of course discuss with you, Steve, about trying to get gigs when you get there, did you get there and like you already had a gig lined up or did you get there just kind of with your, your instruments and I'm going to just find a part-time job and try and build it? Uh, it was, it was a little bit of both. Um, there's definitely com competition, you know, if, if you're, I could imagine. If you're thinking, if you're thinking of it that way, um, it just kind of depends. Like, I, I don't feel like there was many people, like, as long as you're comfortable with who you are and yourself as a musician, you realize that nobody can do what you do as a person or as a, you know, and uh, if you, if you consider what you're doing as a musician, more of an entertainment aspect, and you're there to provide relief for people that are listening to you and, and um, you're more picturing it as more of part of a service industry. I think there's not a lot of musicians that, that think that way. So I, I felt like I was able to get more gigs work moving to the city just with that mindset of, um, you know, showing up, making sure you look good, making sure you have a really good attitude, smiling, making eye contact. It's just, you know, little things like yeah. that um, really helped me out a lot. And I don't know if it set me apart from anybody. And I would say that, you know, more people, more musicians are starting to realize how important these things are. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, uh, Steve, on that. Absolutely. I've been doing it for 32 years and that to me is just, it's so important. So mm -hmm. important. I've worked with some, you know, incredible players, but they lacked all the qualities that you just described about eye contact and just showing up and having a nice demeanor and, and bringing some positive energy uh, to, to the gig into the room. Yeah. That that's, that's, it's really cool to hear you say that, you know, um, no, thanks. I'm sure, man. I'm sure that's made a difference for you in your career. I mean, I think it's it's made all the difference. It's it's kind of the only reason I, I hear players that are just can play circles around me and and are really even they're they're even great people, but um, mm -hmm. because they don't have those, uh, I guess it's just a, a warmth about them. Uh, sometimes they don't do as well, uh, and it's it's unfortunate because I I think that you know it's strange as as a musician, you know most of what we do is sound based, but there is a huge visual component to. Mm -hmm being on stage and performing. So that's, that's something that I think gets overlooked a lot. I absolutely, man. I mean, um, uh, I'm living in Singapore now the last 10 years and, uh, you know, snarky puppy came and played here, uh, two or three times, at least twice. And I, I, I went to see them and I have to admit the first time I saw them, I had not heard really much of their music. I knew very little about them, but I was, uh, told by, you know, musicians and other friends of mine, you should go and check them out. And, um, when I saw them, um, I couldn't believe uh, it had like, like a rock concert vibe. The, the, it was like a lot of kids were, I mean, kids, people get in their twenties. And um, I think that the presentation, you know, I realized that they were playing jazz. I mean, what they're playing, it's pretty sophisticated stuff. I mean, um, it took me a couple of songs. I just couldn't figure out even the time signatures. You know, we'll talk about that later. Cause I know you've written a couple of books on that. So I definitely want to ask you about that, but I was sitting there like, like, damn, where's the, where's the one man, you know, great stuff. Yeah. But the presentation was, it just felt younger and uh, it felt like a very warm, what you just said about a warm vibe and uh, just felt very yeah. welcoming, you know? Absolutely. And I, I got to see them 
when we were on a tour just uh, passing through Texas and their show, or maybe it was when we were in Las Vegas, I think they played there as well. And their show, like they're, they do cater kind of to a music audience, but they're able to, to make up for, you know, people that maybe don't know what's happening with the music. They have like an awesome light rig and just the spectacle of having, you know, 12 to how, however many musicians they have on the stage at, at, for a mm -hmm. given show. Right. It's kind of incredible just that they're, they're competent. You know, they work really hard. They compose awesome stuff. And I, I know they rehearse it very, very well. So just a spectacle of seeing that many people in tandem is really just, you know, it, it's not something common. So it's, it's, it has all those elements of, of entertainment and it has really great music at the same time. Yeah. Very, very cool. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I talk about this a lot. I've had so many musicians on the show and it comes up, it comes up so often. It's the, you know, building the relationships. And I'm sure you'd agree with what we're just talking about now is building relationships and uh, making a name, a name for yourself. Uh, you know, your, your name, your, as a musician, you're kind of your own, um, you know, I'll say your own CEO onto yourself, your own entity, kind of like if your name comes up, people will smile or they'll kind of frown or they'll kind of be like that or they'll be like, oh, yeah, man, you know, uh, yeah. what, what do you think about about that? Oh, I, I think that that's 100% uh, correct. And actually, it's, it's something that I haven't been so great at uh, in my own career, like personal career. I've definitely fostered my own connections and been really good about um, maybe just being it being known that I'm a good sideman and will support a frontman very very well, and I I feel like I've done a great a good job for Brian throughout the years and and just whoever we've performed with. Um, and as far as like my own things, like I you had mentioned the odd meter stuff, I've been I've been working on like education material lately, mm -hmm. and I, I I'm realizing you know I can't rely on anybody to sell that stuff for me. It has to come from my own endorsement of myself, which has not been easy. I've, I've always been good at endorsing other people, but actually promoting yourself and being confident. And I think a lot of that just comes from knowing that what you're doing and ha having a positive feeling about what you're doing and knowing that it's going to be good for other people. Um, but if, if you can have that, establish that mindset about what you're doing in the music industry and, and what you're doing, holding an instrument, then you'll be fine, you know, just, um, but th that is a huge part in your, it, it, it takes a huge part in your success or lack of success. You know, if you have this jaded outlook of, you know, what, what am I doing with an instrument? The last thing the world needs is another saxophone player. Then <laughs> people are, people are going to feel that, you know, and they're going to, they're going to be like, yeah, we don't need you. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if I have the attitude of, you know, this is really fun and, and there could be more saxophone players just like me and find, you know, the amount of joy that I have found from playing the saxophone. If I have that kind of attitude, then, you know, that many more people are going to be interested in wanting to play the saxophone. It's, it's all the perspective, you know, mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A fantastic, man. Really great, great advice. I, I love hearing this kind of stuff, man. Um, I just want to kind of, kind of run down with Brian Newman Orchestra. I, I was, of course, I have your, um, I went to your website and stuff, and I want to recommend that to the musicians that are watching. Uh, we'll put all the links later on, Steve, in, in our, um, when we upload this, of course, um, sure. and it's very, very impressive. I know your store is in there as well, and there's a lot of great instructional stuff. And, uh, of course, I looked at your, your bio, and it's like, uh, wow, it's like you've got a list of um, pretty impressive uh, with Brian Newman Orchestra, Arrangements for Tony Bennett, Album with Lady Gaga, and I see uh, Christmas at the Rockefeller Center, uh, ABC's A Very Gaga Thanksgiving, PBS Great Performances, New Year's Eve at Rockefeller Center with Carson Daly, 
I think that was with Brian as well in support yeah. of Lady, Lady Gaga and, and Tony Bennett. That, that, that's really cool, man. What was it yeah, like so um, doing, doing that, those, 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 that, that kind of gig? It was, it was pretty surreal. Um, the end of 2014 through 2015, uh, Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett recorded this giant album mm -hmm. together and just mostly sang standards on it. Uh, it was all songs that I believe Tony picked and, and she had supported and, and really liked as well. Uh, and they, uh, they originally wanted to do it with just Tony's band and just have a, uh, Tony's guys do it. But uh, Lady Gaga kind of stepped in and, and decided that she wanted to have some of her friends and, and just musicians uh, that she knew and was comfortable playing with on it. And that's where my friend Brian came in. Uh, when Brian moved to New York in 2003, he was hanging out in uh, the bar scene. He started out, uh, you know, working as a, a waiter at restaurants. And oh. then that kind of, yeah. And then that carried over into being a bar back uh, in, the, in the East Village and the, on the Lower East Side. And uh, he started just being uh, bartending at all like the coolest bars basically in on the Lower East Side and the, the really kind of underground scene over there. And that's where he met uh, Lady Gaga was a go-go dancer. Uh, and this was right around the time that she wasn't in school anymore at NYU, um, or sorry, Parsons. I'm not sure where she went to school, but she was, she was there for a year or two and then had, had dropped out. And uh, they just became really good friends. And uh, they're- a go-go dancer. Yeah, she was doing oh, that. that. And, okay. uh, yeah, it was just for like a brief, period of time but um she has she has history in uh theater uh dancing and just songwriting and performing mm -hmm. and all that stuff she's very very talented universal talent <laughs> on that woman um right. but um yeah so when when you know that connection happens uh i don't think brian knew that she was gonna be a, a mega star by like right. three or four years later but uh, they they remained good friends, and then she called him to do this this album. And then uh, when they when she needed the jazz band, uh, she called Brian, and was a, Brian was able to uh, work it out so that we got to play a couple songs on that album. I think we were on six tracks out of fourteen that were on that album, and uh, we had to arrange those tunes pretty quickly. So mm -hmm. um, Brian just called me. I think and we had to have the arrangements done in, in a, a day or two uh, for the album. So I, me and the piano player, Alex Smith and Brian, we all arranged um, the six songs in a pretty short period of time. And then that's the rest is history. Um, we got to do the, the promotion for the album, which I, I mean, on those major record deals and stuff like that, the, the, the promo tours and um, cycles and things like that, they, they, they're huge. So they, they hit all the major shows and stuff. So the, all that stuff that you listed off happened in basically the, I, about three months of, that of a window, time period. That window that they were promoting the, uh, the, the, the album. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, that summer after all those promotions, they went on a tour uh, over through Europe and then across the United States. And we got to be on every show. Uh, I think I got to hear Tony, sing the same songs around 45 times and he wow. sang them different every time yeah it was awesome, so cool man awesome i love tony i love tony you know um there's a movie called the uh, the zen of, of bennett it's um yeah. I, I think if you see if you've seen it but i i just love him man he, you know he opens up and he's like 
you know, if you're going to buy a suit, spend the money, get a good suit. It should be a quality <laughs> suit. You don't buy a cheap suit. You don't sing a cheap song. You don't cheat your audience. It just, it, that's the way he opens up the movie. It's just this, uh, so much, uh, he's so humble. And I mean, it's, it's cool you would say that. He didn't sing the song the, the same way twice. I mean, like, like, like a musician would, like a horn player would. I mean, just interpret it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's music. Beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's he was always in the moment. It was just such a such an inspiring thing to see, especially from somebody who's been through so much. And at, at his age, you know, it's it's really. I was just the whole experience was just reminded me that uh, you're never too old or too young to make a decision that's that's going to change your life and to to do things that are going to be good for you. You know, awesome, very inspiring, man. Very very inspiring yeah. indeed. Really cool stuff. And uh, Lady Gaga, you get to, do, when you work with Lady Gaga. Does she like? Does she interactive with the band, or she just kind of shows up and and does the uh, th does does the song? Yeah, it, it just kind of depends on how much stuff she has going on that day. But she loves to talk and socialize, and she loves interacting with with the guys when she's able to do it. Um, super down to earth when when uh, the time and place is is right, and right. they're just a really cool chick. Very cool, man. And yeah. uh, the, the, what's the club scene like now? I mean, uh, in New York, New York City still has like all these uh, like Birdland and uh, what is it? The, the Iridium. And uh, there's there, I mean, now, of course, everything is, is, is locked down. I mean, it's everything shut down. New York still correct. Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I think clubs are trying to open back up. And then there was this weird thing that was passed a couple of days ago where they're saying that you can't even promote your live shows because they're just worried about people gathering uh, too much in, in, in an environment where you're going to be drinking and not really social distancing in the proper way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and part of that was in a reaction to like some underground things that were happening, like just ticketed events to um, more like private clubs, I guess, or to, I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I haven't been in New York for three or four months now since, I see. Um, since they first started. We, we basically, we were playing three nights a week, uh, just regular gigs. And then I would have stuff, outside of that. So I usually would be playing around five times a week when I was in New York. And once, when they hit that band, like it, it just all, all the clubs that we played at said, sorry, we're just, we're not going to have music anymore. And I think the restaurants had closed and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a funky time right now, but I, I think, you know, the, <laughs> a lot of the people that I know that are still there, they're, they're, um, they're fearless and they're definitely not going to just give up at the, even, yeah, they're just survivors, and New York has always survived and, and uh, figured out a way to adapt to the times. And I don't think that this is going to be any different. I agree, absolutely, man. And you know, the, it has it's going to have an ending, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's gone on a lot. I think a lot longer than uh, a lot of us expected. But of course, yeah. like like anything else, it's gonna it's gonna come to an end, and uh, this will all come back. You know, yeah. what do you think about the the, the the virtual thing, like the doing virtual shows? You know, I went I went on and um, from the baked potato, I think that's in Los Angeles, small jazz club. Uh -huh. I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of uh, Dean Brown. Dean Brown's a guitar player. And, okay, cool. Uh, he did a show from there, and then Michael Landau and Steve Gadd they did a they did a show, and uh, it was cool. You know, I I watched the the Dean Brown show, and I loved the playing and everything. But I honestly just felt you know because there was no audience there. You know, they'd finish a tune and the band would be roaring and they would just stop the tune and they'd all kind of like, 
you know, look at one another. And uh, how do you feel about yeah. the, uh, <laughs> and have you tried it? Have you done anything like, like that where you've gone on and done like streaming, like live stuff, like a live show? I, uh, when I first came back to Cleveland, I was, I was really gung ho about it and was um, definitely into trying it. And then I just started to not feel the same way about it anymore. I did a couple of them and um, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from doing it. Cause I do think it is really cool. And I see some people, having pretty good success with it. Um, but for me, I just haven't figured out a way to, uh, enjoy it, I guess is the mm -hmm. thing for, for me, it's not super enjoyable. Um, I definitely want to get more into it because I, I definitely miss uh, performing and, and getting to play in that, uh, just in that arena. So, so to speak, like where you're, you have to go for a couple songs straight and just really be in the zone and, and be thinking about, uh, having that switch turned on, you know, that performance mode. So mm -hmm. uh, for, from that perspective, I, I, I miss it a lot. Um, and it, I'm not sure if I think if I were able to have a, a good audience doing it, and I'm sure if I had been doing it all along, it, I would be able to curate that and cultivate that. Uh, I don't think there's anything horrible about it. It's definitely not the same, you know, as, as hearing, just oh, hearing yeah. live reverb, you know, <laughs> I just yeah, miss stuff like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I haven't done a ton of it, but I would like to get more into it. I think I'm actually going to start pretty soon. Cool. Well, I'll look forward to that, man. I mean, I, I agree. I, I don't uh, want to uh, sound negative about it. I just found it was uh, the, the, the couple of shows I watched. They were great shows and the playing was was great, you know, just without mm -hmm. the audience interact, the energy of the audience in the room. And I think the band kind of... Um, you know, feeds off that to a certain, certain, certain degree that they, they feel the audience there. And even if it's a really small, intimate jazz club, uh, like the baked potato, I've never been there, but I've been told it's, it's a very, very small room. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's just something that's, uh, we'll see, maybe it, it'll be something that a lot of musicians will be doing um, in the future, but uh, hopefully uh, we'll all go back to playing. You're there and the audience is there and you, you have that, that, that nice interaction. When, when, when you finish playing, there's applause in the room yeah <laughs> right you feel the like yeah awesome man that was really great yeah i mean for me i, I even watching tv or watching like the late night tv shows um exactly. that's been a yeah. very strange part of it very like because in general those guys are pretty funny and i think the audience you know helps you realize what is supposed to be funny even if it's canned laughter but when mm -hmm. it's not there it's just like hmm <laughs> yeah i know happened? i know i'm watching like, a couple of the late night shows and it's i know they go on to do a monologue and it's like there's yeah, there's no, there's no uh, interaction with an audience. So uh, definitely strange times we're, we're living in, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, the uh, one thing about the, uh, the the internet, of course, in the interactive thing that I think is cool is is the teaching. And I know that you're you're doing that, Steve, is giving yeah. like uh, Skype lessons and um, developing that as well. Can, can we can we talk about that a little bit? Well, sure. Um one thing I've started doing is, is I just set up this thing called like, like virtual teaching. And uh, I, I think ideally it's going to be in a group setting where I have some kind of class, like once a week over zoom or whatever. Okay. And um, wh what I've been doing is just uh, kind of keeping in touch uh, via email and text with my students. And then every, for a couple hours every day, I'll, I'll make sure that I respond to everything that they've asked me or any kind of questions they've had. Mm -hmm. And um, 
just keeping them motivated and almost, I, I think I'm almost acting like a coach in that sense. Uh, because for me, you know, during these times, especially the thing that's really helped me keep my sanity is just getting to pick up the horn or just pick up any instrument. I've, I've sat down at the piano a lot lately and just really enjoyed that and kind of just escaped with that. Um, and it's also just something to look forward to when all this is lifted that I'm, I'm going to be able to perform and hopefully play for people. But a lot of the students I'm getting, now they're, they have the same kind of goals that I do, even as a professional musician, that they want to eventually be able to play for their family or, you know, just play a concert. So my, my whole um, lesson I, it, ideology is centered around just getting people to learn songs that they're going to be able to perform. And that way, every time you pick up the song, you pick up the horn, you're playing some kind of music right. and you're, it's, it's headed towards something. You're not just like, given a bunch of etudes to practice or a bunch yeah, of technical yeah. exercises. Yeah. I, I really, um, I, I was always learning music when I was growing up, you know, even though it was, it was classical music and it wasn't necessarily stuff I was going to perform. I was just practicing for like solo and ensemble, but, mm -hmm. uh, I was, I think that's where that model comes from. I had a really great teacher. Um, he, he passed away just this last year. He was 92. Oh, wow. And I, when I was studying with him, I was, you know, in, in high school, 17, 18, and he was in his early 70s uh, when I was studying with him. So uh, he just kind of taught me through the through the grapevine of, of I think, you know, all musicians should be playing music. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, <Yeah>. <laughs> and a majority of what we worked on was was just always some kind of song or, or piece. So that's that's what I've just been really trying to focus on with my students. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, great way to go is to I do the same thing. I te teach guitar and it's, you know, there's, if they're very, it's, if they're just beginners, of course, they have to go through the process of learning uh, the, 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 you know, the, some a certain amount of technique and a certain amount of harmony, but then as soon as possible, it's like, let's work on a song and get them playing a song. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's great for guitar. I, I, I've noticed that you, you definitely just are able to jump over certain hurdles um, just because of what certain tunes present like certain challenges guitar is a very i feel like a uh, plateaued instrument where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you learn one simple technique it allows you to do you know these 18 other things that well you couldn't it's, it's, do before. i mean it's i've always i tell my students that how lucky we are i say you know if you learn this one thing with your hand you only have to move it up and down like that and you can play 12 things you can play 12 chords and i always say you know horn players and piano players they 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 have to ch their fingerings have to change and the guitar has this unique, yeah, exactly this this kind of thing where you can learn learn a really small small thing, and you can you can do so much with it. You know, here's the pentatonic scale, and there it is again. Just move it up and down, and you're now you have twelve scales to, to, to twelve different keys to play in. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think it's cool too that the, what you were saying uh, earlier is that you can be in touch with your students in real time, like on a daily basis. And when I was studying many years ago. Um, when I, even when I was in university, uh, I did private studies and, you know, it was one lesson a week and I'd get on the bus and I, I, you know, I'd get on two buses, actually, you know, transfer, get on a second bus, sit outside the, 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 uh, the, the, my teacher's office and then do my 45 minute lesson. And I'd see him the next week. And there was no way to get in touch with them during that entire week. You know, there was this whole week where I might have went home and went like, oh, shit, what is it? What did he mean? by you know, here's my notes. Yeah. You know, we used to have cassettes. You know, you were given a cassette to, you know, my teacher would speak on the cassette. And now mm -hmm. you can do it like it's so that is such an advantage. Uh, 
I'm sure you'd agree. If your student's stuck with something, he can just hit you up with a quick text and you can be there to support him and uh, be, be, be um, responding in, in um, you know, in, within a day, at least maybe 24 hours or so. Right. Yeah. Uh, originally, you know, the idea kind of uh, was repulsive to me, the idea of like having the <laughs> text. You're going to be hounded by all your students. Like you're forever on your phone. Like, wait a minute. What did you say about C7 over F though? Wait a minute. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I hate to use that ugly word. No, but like, no. <laughs> originally, I was like really turned off by it and didn't think that it uh, was something I wanted to do. But I, um, I, I really think it's it's uh, better in in a lot of ways now. And and there's still is a social aspect of it, even though you're texting, right. um, you're you're communicating with somebody. And yeah, I just love that they're able to get their questions answered in that in that downtime, like you said, and they don't have to wait a week, you know, to to figure out something. Um, uh, one thing that I do do just in order to make it so that it's not like, I'm just like texting all day is I'll, I'll, I'll set up like my own office hours or whatever. When I, oh, I, perfect. I, I of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just tell them that I'm definitely going to respond in 24 hours, but in general, I try and keep it to, you know, a couple hours a day where I'm, I'm really focusing on the teaching side of it. Of course, it makes sense. Then you have the rest of the time free to do what you want to do, work on your own thing, or you're not you're not the uh, slave to the uh, to, to the messages in the telephone. It, it makes sense, man. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's the way to do it. That's well well thought out. Otherwise, you're you're forever answering messages from from students if you have uh, that many students. Yeah, cool yeah. stuff. Um, let me ask you about the uh, the uh, social media uh, aspect of this whole thing as a musician, because. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of musicians, they, they, they just take to it like like in a big, big way. They're all over it, you know, and other guys that uh, um, even a lot of uh, big name players are kind of kind of shy, shy away from it. And um, I'd be uh, curious, uh, Steve, to get, get your, your take on it, uh, you know, just in general, uh, the Instagram thing and uh, YouTube, all the different platforms that are available to us. Yeah, um, I think kind of for me right now, the one that takes up most of my attention uh is is instagram and it seems to have the biggest reach for for what i'm doing but i've seen people have success on just like every different platform that you can imagine uh, i don't necessarily enjoy any of that stuff and i think a lot of you know a lot of people don't get into music so yeah. they can spend spend time on instagram or making yeah. videos and stuff like that uh but it is uh, unfortunately you know as as especially as we become more of a like a technological society it's it's a necessary byproduct of that so um i i kind of use i try and use them to help each other you know the different platforms um i'm noticing that facebook is is getting to be an older audience now yeah. so I, I always want to post on there just to um i've kind of look at that as reaching contacts that i've known for a while uh, and that, it, that i don't really keep in touch with uh, Instagram is more towards like the middle age or younger crowd. And they're, they're more of like the unknown. Cause you can hit all people, a bunch of people like, uh, Herbie Hancock liked one of my videos a couple of days ago. Now, I don't know if it was oh. actually Herbie. It was probably okay. like the guy running Herbie's account. Uh, and it's because well, I, I hashed. Yeah, it was still, cool. it was like, I, I saw it and I was just like, Oh man, this is awesome. Um, mm -hmm. but just, just that idea, you know, that you can reach people that you don't know and wouldn't have any other way of meeting. Uh, just through hashtags, you know, and, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's the most, for, for what I do, it's the most universal outreach right now. Um, and then what I've been getting into lately is just uh, making uh, videos and stuff to promote 
you know, whether it's music or things that I have available or just things that I think are going to be good for society, uh, just trying to promote those as much as possible through. And you need, you kind of need to explain yourself sometimes because from an outsider's perspective, they don't really have any reason to, there's already like a million things that people can get involved in. And if there's something there that's a little complicated and it doesn't seem like it's going to make sense or be more effort than it's worth, then they're just going to skip right by it onto something else. Mm -hmm. So yeah i'm kind of discovering i need to break down some of the things i've already worked out and uh just have them there and, and present them in kind of an entertaining way uh but mm -hmm. with um with you youtube i would say that a lot of that is centered around your capacity and ability to edit videos you know and yes and how yeah and how many things you can change or do to a video or uh you know you can find things that work uh just through simple iMovie or just even just talking, you know, just like phone in hand, talking to your phone. I've seen people do great with that. So if you're, yeah. if you're super engaging with your speech patterns and things like mm. that, you're going to be fine with YouTube. Um, but yeah, they all have kind of have their own little uh, quirks that make them, th that make you succeed on them. And you, it's, it, it's different for everybody. The, the amount of variation between platforms, depending on what your personality is. Uh, is kind of infinite to, as to how you can succeed on each platform. Um, but in general, that's been my, what I've noticed about those, those three in particular, and those seem to be the biggest outreaching to, uh, that I can tell right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the YouTube thing, I've seen some, some guys that have, have had some uh, very successful channels. Of course, uh, Rick Beato is the first one that comes to mind and uh, Adam, Adam Neely. I mean, they seem to have a, uh, huge followings but it does seem like that that kind of almost becomes like like a gig like uh mm -hmm. like oh you know it isn't just oh let me just fire off this video today like you said earlier you have to really get into the process the editing and make them interesting and, and have the stories and have the have the personality but to put this video together um i've only only done a couple myself and, and really minor ones but even just the editing is like just hours and hours of uh of, of editing right it's uh, it's time consuming for sure. I mean, mm -hmm. like before I, I, I took this call, I got up around seven or eight because I was trying to get a video out by noon today and I, I did okay. not get it done. Today, okay. But uh, <laughs> I got I'll, I'll be working on that this afternoon. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think it, it's like anything else, you know, it's uh, once you get better at it, you enjoy it more. I think mm -hmm. I'm starting to have a little bit more fun with it. Um, I don't necessarily I still don't think I enjoy it yet. I would much rather just not have to do it. I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is, it is, centered. you're, you're going to have a lot more success. And I think people are going to enjoy watching your stuff more if you have some capacity to uh, just add elements to it that are going to be more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of people that are on that are saying hello in Facebook. I can't see Facebook because we're in, we're in Zoom, but I'll just reference them because Omar, our wonderful producer, is, uh, putting them in, into the iPad that's right next to me. Frank Waters is saying hi. Uh, Rosie, Rosie saying hi. How are you, Rosie? Milan is back today. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming on, Milan. Ivan Castro, wonderful guitar player. Uh, Joe Filippo, I think hey, you Joey. know Joe, right? Yeah. 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 Yes, because Joe, well, Joe, well, actually, Joe uh, suge uh, suggested you to come on because I asked him, do you know any musicians, any guys that, that would, be, would make a good guest? And uh, he actually uh, referenced me to, to you, Steve. And oh, I'm glad man, he did. I'm glad I he did. I am too, man. Joe is, Joe is the cat. He's, uh, 
I met Joe on, on ships, uh, right. I think like 13 or 14 years ago now. And, uh, he was a hustler. He was, he was selling his CDs in a jazz trio. And I, I used to always go and sit <laughs> in the jazz trio whenever I could. And I remember meeting him and just being like, wow, man, this guy really has it together for, for somebody, you know, I, I think we're around the same age and okay. that was 13 years ago. So he, he was, uh, he's, he's always been a go-getter. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, incredible. I had him on a couple of episodes ago and he was just like, uh, yeah, he's just, you know, even though the, the, the world's locked down pretty much, musicians are out of work, he's finding ways of, uh, of, of uh, getting, keeping something going. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a go-getter. So thanks for yeah. coming on and saying hi and thanks for the reference, uh, Joe. Um, I listened to Looking at the Moon. You, you released that last September, Steve? I did. I, I recorded it. Yeah, I, re I didn't get around to releasing it because I wanted to edit the video. That's when I actually started editing videos was um, to, to release that album. I, I bought Final Cut Pro. Uh, I had realized like I could just save a lot of money. I would just buy the program and do it myself. But I didn't realize how much work that was going to take Absolutely. in order to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I recorded it at the end of 2018 and then did some editing. I had the band come back in and we fixed some stuff in February of 2019. And then I finally got around to, to putting everything out towards the end of last year. Okay. I see. Well, it's, it's a great album and you have two other albums, right? Two or three other albums that you've done as a, as a band leader. Yeah. Um, I, I, my first album was 2012 uh, and it's called steps forward. And, um, the next one I did was, uh, I had two quartets on it and that one's called wedding song. Uh, and then I did a, I co-led a band with this organ player and it was like an organ quartet. And we did a little bit of, of touring with that band as well. Um, and that one's called, uh, I think it's just called Oja because um, three of the guys were from Ohio and then the guitar player was from Japan. So we just combined the, the regions and made okay. a band name out of it. <laughs> cool. Oja. Very cool, man. Um, and then the, the, the instructional stuff, uh, I was looking through it, and uh, I like the stuff in the uh, the odd time signature. Uh, I think you, you did one or two books on it. Yeah, so that the first book I did was around last year. I've I've just always been into it. Actually, when I uh, met Joe on cruise ships, I think I is when I kind of started working on that stuff. Is about thirteen years ago. Okay. And um, I just uh, I I wrote a book on it last year of transcribed solos that I had played and recorded on Instagram. Uh, I just took those solos and then transcribed them all and wrote them out for all the transpositions of the different instruments. And then mm -hmm. I took a bunch of lines that were in those solos and then I wrote those out in all 12 keys so people can, you know, shed through those and just play wow. through it. And it has, it has kind of every conceivable meter in there. It's, um, I have like five, eight, seven, eight, seven, four, five, four, 11, eight, nine, eight, you know, all five, uh, what is it? 10, 10, four, I guess that ends wow. up being like a large five. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. St I know stuff that'll hurt your brain, but um, I, yes. I think I've, I, the reason, the thing that drew me to it so much uh, was that it was really foreign to me and it just kind of scared me that there was something about music that I, uh, I guess was so difficult to me. It just seemed like it shouldn't, shouldn't be that be. way. Yeah. You know, so I, I've been really on a mission to kind of break it down and, and make it more fun for people. And, and I've definitely gotten a, a lot of musical benefits just from being able to manipulate time and, and play through uh, things in that way. So this last one I, I just made is mostly focused on like five, five, four and seven, four and playing in right. those meters. When I saw, yeah. And 
And I got some really great New York players to remotely record backing tracks for it. Right. And they, they sound really, really good playing together. It sounds like they were all in the same room. And, and I've, I've mm. finally gotten around, like I've been editing all the stuff and mixing and mastering and all that uh, over the last couple months. I think the whole project took me about four months to complete. Uh, but I've finally gotten to start playing with it and it's just been so much fun to work with it. So even if I don't sell one copy, I still have like a, a kick-ass thing to play along. I have a band basically whenever I want to uh, play along with them, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I just looked, looked into it a little bit and uh, just like one of the first ideas and concepts was like you were in five, four and you were like just taking a fixed rhythm and kind mm -hmm. of treating it kind of like a, like as a clave. So you just get that rhythm in your head and it's just, it's going to repeat every, every, every measure of five, I guess. Right. Exactly. So it makes it easy to hear. And I thought that's great. I mean, I wouldn't have, that's just, yeah. Cause I mean, for me, and it's just for me, cause I grew up with four, four, you know, totally. And then, um, you know, I mean, the odd thing, you know, I mean, you grow up in, you know, was it Mission, Mission Impossible when I was a kid would come on TV and you'd be like, wait a minute, that's, what is it? That's not four. What's going going on here? The simplest yeah. things, right? But it's still throw me, man. It's, it's something that uh, I, I'm kind of where, where you were because I still, I would still struggle, man. If I had to solo and really try and express myself in odd time, I would just muddle through it, you know, and just look at the drummer every now and then and wait for like, you know, a, a big downbeat. So definitely yes. uh, musicians out there are definitely something worth a, a, a checking out, uh, up your skills, up your game and uh, check out Steve's, um, Steve's website. Of course, like I said, we'll put all the links um, in here so you guys can look for yourself. It's, it's, it's so well done. I mean, uh, Steve went to the trouble to get these great musicians to come in and uh, I, I saw they kind of recorded on their own. So they're their own little kind of uh, videos and they're all put together. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, a journey putting it all together, but um, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that everybody could, you know, see the, the guys playing the stuff too. And I'm going to be releasing those videos on my YouTube channel every Tuesday and Friday. Um, so there's nine unique tracks uh, with, with uh, another musician, like a horn player. I'll have a trumpet player, or, uh, Spencer, or Stuart Mack is playing trumpet on that uh, one where there's a trumpet player, but I have different really just really great horn players playing through all the concepts on each track so that way you know people can kind of see somebody doing it and they realize that these aren't just uh exercises that are going to be yeah. left to the imagination there there's something that can actually be played mm -hmm. very cool uh leandro is on and he's saying hi hi leandro nice to have you here uh kia brand is here hi kia thank you for coming on and joining us um who would you say uh, uh, were your influences or did you have anyone like was there uh, certain horn players or was it uh, uh, other instruments that, uh, you know, uh, really influenced you when you were coming up? Yeah, it's it's been a eclectic mix of, of musicians for sure. But I think my main influences are Michael Jackson from young Michael Jackson from Jackson 5. Wow, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I don't know why. I thought you were going to say Charlie was, Parker. So you know, well, I'm sure that Bird is in there are, somewhere. Oh, absolutely. These are these are pre-saxophone influences, but um, just hit the flexibility of his voice uh, and the stuff that he could do is specifically on ballads is just like second to none. Yeah, uh, right. with Michael. Yeah. So like um, Michael Jackson and Billy Joel. Um, I would 52nd say Street. remember that album 52nd street definitely yeah yeah, yeah. yes yeah so good 
so good. Um, yeah, we're giving away, giving away my age as well. I'm sure I'm older than you, so I still have the, <laughs> I still have the vinyl back home in my in my mom's basement somewhere. I mean, when I was three years old, that was that was the first album I remember is the Michael Jackson Thriller album. But my mm-hmm. parents were all they also had Billy Joel albums too. I don't know if they had the Fifty Second Street one, but okay. uh, there was a lot of vinyl floating around the house for sure. Cool. Um, and then you know, once I got into instrumental music, I think my first main influence was Wynton Marsalis, actually. And strangely enough, it was his classical playing that I got turned on to first because I was studying all this Baroque music and stuff and uh, was just really drawn to the way that he interpreted classical music. I, I just thought it was just incredible. And then to find out later, you know, years down the road that he's also like this amazing jazz trumpeter uh, was great. And then my mm-hmm. two main saxophone influences, I would say, are like, well, three would be Charlie Parker, uh, Kenny Garrett and John Coltrane. Very cool. Very cool, man. Yeah. Thank you. Man. Awesome. My, Michael Brecker. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't know how it's easy to leave people out in this. In yeah, this no, of course. I, I, of course. Yeah. If you ask me my guitar players, I'd leave, I'd leave it a whole bunch. Yeah. I'm just curious. I was just listening some, like just reading up on something. Uh, Michael Brecker came into my radar recently. So I was just curious. Um, it's great. Um, that, um, you're, you're doing that the whole thing online, I think, and getting the, the, the instructional stuff out there, man, it's, uh, very cool. Sharing the knowledge, I think, is, is is a wonderful thing, man. If you can, you know, pass on what you've learned, and obviously, you, I, I've heard I've heard you you play. I mean, not live, but I've I've listened to your stuff, and uh, it's obvious you put an, an, an incredible uh, uh, amount of time and effort uh, into into developing your craft, man. And uh, you sound like just such a great player. So it's so really a uh, pleasure to have you come on here and share share your time with us for for a little while, Steve. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, man. Um, before we close, I always ask uh, uh, the guests, I do a little kind of a desert island, and now we're talking about influences, but if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only kind of stream three, uh, not uh, not three albums, but three artists, you can only choose uh, three artists. And I don't know if they would be the, those saxophone players or maybe, maybe we just kind of gave it away with the last question, right? Yeah, well... Um... It's funny because the the influences are so wide and there's so many of them. I actually thought of a couple as you were saying that, um, but I've actually been getting really into Jacob Collier lately. And right. I know that he's, he's going to put a ton of stuff out. You know, he's only 24, 25 and just incredible, the, the level. Incredible. Yeah. The, the level of production that he's doing, I don't think is, is anything I'm going to get bored of anytime soon. So I would, I would probably have, have him as one of the people I choose. That'd be a good um, choice. Yeah. Uh, I would say um, Michael Brecker too. I feel embarrassed for not remembering him because no, uh, no, please. Uh, I'm not a saxophone player. I was just no. I forget what I was. You know what it was? I think Steve. I was. Um, I'm going through. Um, I'm scanning a lot of my stuff because you know I've got so much extra time on my hands now. So I've got a lot of um, you know guitar transcriptions and whatnot. And I thought, well, why not take this time to just digitize everything? Just put them in a scanner. And then I can get rid of all this heavy paper. And it, that's mm-hmm. what came up. It was like this, this bebop guitar thing. And it was lines, like two fives, whatever lines. And, oh, here's a Michael Brecker thing, you know. And I t- took, I'm like, what? Wait a minute. How do you, you know. <laughs> so it was kind of like transcribed for the guitar. So that's how, and you're a saxophone player and you play jazz. So that's kind of how that, that connection was made. It just kind of came out. But, for sure. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd have, to, I'd have to put him on there if, if uh, he's uh, 
one of the three artists I could listen to. I, I he's definitely one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's see, number three, I'd probably want some more pop music in there. So I, I get, I think I would just throw the Jackson Five in there. Just yeah, because. there you go. There you go. <laughs> nice combination, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. Very nice, man. Well, listen, thanks for taking the time and and uh, coming on. Uh, as I said, the links will be in, in uh, our uploads guide. Please check out Steve's, uh, Steve's um, YouTube and his website, uh, his instructional stuff. Continued success. We're all looking forward to uh, this is going to pass, of course. We all know that. And hopefully, uh, hopefully in the new year, at least. I mean, I know viruses don't go by calendars. I'm sure the virus is not waiting for New Year's, New Year's Eve, and then it'll go away. But I'm sure right. as we move into the next uh, the next year that things are, are, are going to get better for, for musicians all over the world. And uh, I it, think it, you're absolutely right. It, it can't it doesn't seem like it can keep going down for much longer. It's just the, the cycle yeah. of things. So, yeah, yes. I totally agree. Exactly. Well, uh, Steve, thank you once again for, for coming on and doing the show. Thank really you, appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in to Beyond Notes, guys. And we'll see you next Friday. In the meantime, have a great week and stay safe. Take care, everybody. Thanks again to Steve. All right.